Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, my titans, warlords, enforcers, and all my new listeners to your Wednesday mega trio of Sherlock Holmes episodes. Not one, not two, but three remastered episodes back to back. Your lineup today is The Notorious Canary Trainer, In Flanders Field, and The Limping Ghost. Each of these episodes, though, had their own unique challenges and were more difficult than most. The first and last had blips and crackling with major spikes in their audio, and some spikes remained in the final output, but were significantly culled so your ears are still intact. You'll hear them, they are kind of like a warping of audio. The more I strip out though, the higher risk of damage to the audio, so I keep it as clean as I can without doing so. And the middle episode <laughs> was a doozy. Having been the only one of the three recorded in tight mono, with a large reverberation of echo pulsing throughout it, and the low frequency hum, oh, mate, this one was a challenge, but I got there. I've also stripped out repetitive adverts where possible, and eliminated long-winded musical pieces while enhancing vocals where I can. I want to ensure you get straight to the action and maintain the plot's momentum as well. There may be some on-the-nose commentary in these episodes, because these were recorded quite a while ago, so a minor disclaimer for opinions in regards to the war and what was said by the characters. But mates, I hope you all thoroughly enjoy this set of three OTRs, and I'm open to feedback if you liked or disliked this episode. I also have a huge thank you to Paige Kramer for moving up a tier in my Patreon support. I'm grateful and humbled to say... Welcome Paige Kramer as my new white tea warlord. What a legend! Thank you so, so much. And a shout out to both Paige and Tea Time Drinker One, another awesome supporter, for your poetry. Gotta say, my listeners are fantastic writers as well. I'll be reading these out this Friday. Listeners, Let's enjoy a set of three remastered Sherlock Holmes tales straight from the past, just for your lovely ears. Let's get to it. And now for our weekly doctor's appointment. Let's knock on his library door and see if... There's no point in doing that, Mr. Slattery. I'm right behind you. Oh, hello, Dr. Watson. Don't tell me you've been stalking me. No, my boy. I was on the patio and I heard your footsteps, so I thought that I'd, I'd come in and fetch you. Let's go back and sit out there, shall we? It's, it's a beautiful evening. That's fine with me, Doctor. Ah, here we are. Now settle yourself down in a chair and, and light a cigarette, if you have one. And I'll get on with my story. Well, last week you told us it concerned an adventure that you and Sherlock Holmes had in Flanders during the First World War. That's right, Mr. Slattery, did. I thought that you and the great man had retired at that period. We had, my boy, but it was only natural that as soon as the war broke out, we both offered our services in any capacity that might help our country. Of course, and how did tonight's story begin, Doctor? It was in the winter of that first year. Things weren't going very well for the Allies. The Germans were advancing on Paris, and the picture was looking very black. It was just 24 hours before the famous Battle of the Marne began, the battle that changed the early course of the war. 
when Holmes told me that we had to go up to the front lines on a secret mission. We'd been in Paris for several weeks, where Holmes had just solved the case of the missing Aidecon. I was anxious to get back to England and my work in the war hospitals, but of course this new summons was in the nature of a command. And so, late on a rainy September afternoon, Holmes and I, with the boom of gunfire in our ears, found ourselves in the front seat of a staff car, slushing and jolting its way towards the battlefield. I'm driving too fast for you, gentlemen. No, Sergeant, not at all. No, no, you're doing a splendid job. Oh, my man, look out, considering the state of the road. Thank you, sir. Uh, hello. The gunfire is getting nearer, Holmes. Yes, old fellow. I imagine we haven't much further to go, have we, Sergeant? No, sir, we're nearly there. Did you notice the two civilians in the, in the back seat, Holmes? Yes. Handsome woman and a distinguished-looking man, several years her senior. I wonder who they are. I'll tell you. He's a Shakespearean actor of some note, oh. though he never achieved the fame to which he thinks he's entitled. I shouldn't be at all surprised if he feels that he's been slighted and not receiving a knighthood. But, Holmes, that's amazing. How can you possibly deduce all that from just looking at the man as, as we got into the car? Elementary, my dear fellow, I didn't deduce it. We saw him twice last year in the London theater, if you remember. What? His name is Maitland Morris. As for his biography, he's a friend of my brother, Mycroft's. He told me about him. Well, what do you suppose he's doing up here near the front line? His brother is General Sir Stanley Morris, who was in command of this particular front, and it would seem reasonable to presume that his brother has come up here to give a performance for the front line troops. Ah, I suppose this hut is as far as we can drive, Sergeant. I'm afraid so, sir. We're four miles from the front line now. You'll have to clear your papers here. Uh, see that ruined farmhouse there, sir? Yes, Sergeant. Is that the General's headquarters? Yes, sir. Come on, Watson. Good Lord, it's pelting with rain. Yeah, let's make a dash for it. Oh, who goes there? Friend. Give the password. St. Crispin. Pass friends and show your papers. How did you know the password, Holmes? I was given it before we left Paris, old chap. Oh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, isn't it? Yes, Captain. I'm Captain Maxwell, uh, General Morris's aide-de-camp. He asked me to escort you up to his headquarters. Uh, by the way, weren't Maitland Morris and his wife in the car with you? Yes, they're just behind us. Oh, splendid. I'm afraid I'll have to ask to see your papers. Yes, of course. Here's, uh, here's my permit, Captain Maxwell. Thank you. I know you both, of course, but we can't afford to take any chances when they're this close to the enemy lines. Let's see. Oh, yeah, yes, that's fine, Doctor. Everything's in order. All right, uh, yours, please, Mr. Holmes. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Oh. Who goes there? Friend. There's the rescue the party now. Word? Oh, good. This is quite oh, an order, Mr. Holmes. Oh, oh, there you are, Captain Maxwell. Oh, hello, sir. Hello, Mrs. Morris. How are you, Captain Maxwell? Well, you've both met Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, I suppose? Well, no, we haven't, even though we drove up in the same car. Natural reserve of us Britishers, I suppose. How are you, Mr. Holmes? How do you do, sir? I know your brother Mycroft very well. Uh, how are you, Doctor? I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Morris. I saw you a couple of times in the theatre last year and enjoyed your performances very much. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, then you must know my wife, my leading lady. How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, Mr. You. Morris? Uh, can I see your papers, Mr. Morris? Uh, just a matter of form. You oh, understand? Yes, 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 of course, of course. Uh, Mrs. Morris, I presume you and your husband are going to give a performance tonight for the men going up the front line. Yes, Doctor. We're very flattered. They've asked us to do some Shakespearean things. Oh, yes. Although I should have thought something a little lighter would have been more appropriate. The general, he's Maitland's brother, you know, seemed to think differently. Well, my dear, show Captain Maxwell your papers. 
Then we can all go along and see my brother Stanley. Very well, Maitland. Mr. Morris, I shall look forward to hearing your reading of Shakespeare's St. Crispin's speech from Henry V tonight. <laughs> Bless my soul, Holmes. How did you know I was planning to do it? Well, the setting is so perfect and the time so appropriate, I can't conceive an English actor who could resist the temptation. Oh. I, I noticed that your brother appreciated the fact in naming today's password. Yes, it's amazingly appropriate. You know, it's almost 500 years ago to the day that the Battle of Agincourt took place. Well, let's hope that the results of the forthcoming battle will be equally successful for England. Yes, indeed. Oh, by the way, Holmes, this will probably seem rather silly to you, but I'm an inveterate autograph collector, and I have my book here with me. I, I wonder if you'd mind signing it. I'd be very glad to, Mr. Morris. Give me a pen, will you, Watson? Uh, uh, you are, Holmes. You'll find yourself among quite distinguished company in that yes, book, sir. So I see, Adelina Patty, Crown Prince of Norway. Hello. Field Marshal von Tauchnitz. Oh, yes. He was one of my admirers when I played in Munich before the war. I suppose now that our countries are fighting, I should tear that page out. Do you know, I cannot help but feel that art and the appreciation of art are independent of national hatred. Quite so, sir. I myself still have a medal presented to me by the University of Leipzig for some trifling services. There you are, Mr. Morris. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. Holmes. A notable addition to my collection. Uh, I shall be very glad to sign your book for you, Mr. Morris, if you'd like me to. Uh, that's very kind of you, Doctor. Oh, Captain Maxwell, oh, 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 if our oh, permits are all in order, don't you think we should be moving along? That's just what I was going to suggest myself. Uh, I'll take you all straight, though, to General Morris's headquarters. General Morris, uh, may I introduce Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? How do you do, sir? How are you, General? Uh, how do you do? Uh, know a lot about you. Uh, long way from Baker Street, isn't it? Yes, indeed, sir. Uh, where's that brother of mine? Ah, oh, there you are, Maitland. Uh, Cynthia, uh, how nice to see you both. Oh, it's good to see you again, Stanley. Hello there, Stanley. Mm, the men will be glad you arrived. They're looking forward to your show tonight. <laughs> We're very flattered that they want to hear us do some Shakespeare. Oh, rubbish, old boy. With you and Cynthia up there on the platform, you could read the telephone book and they'd love you. Oh, very kind. Uh, by the way, you'll find the stage very primitive, just a few trestles and a large tent and a curtain made of army blankets. And your dressing room will be even worse. Oh, don't worry <laughs> about our comfort, Stanley. As long as we cheer the boys up, that's the important thing. Yes, of course. By the way, what program do you have mapped out for us? Well, I thought we'd have two shows. Uh, the tent's not large enough to hold everybody at once. Anybody, anyway, uh, uh, we have to keep up an alert all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, think you can manage two uh, separate shows? Oh, of course I can, Stanley. I may look old, but I don't feel it. <laughs> you don't even look at your scoundrel. <laughs> Thank you. Perhaps we could take a look at the stage and equipment, eh? Oh, certainly. Uh, Captain Maxwell, uh, take them over to the tent and show them what the facilities are, will you? Right, sir. Will you follow me? Oh, yes, of course. See you later, Stanley. Come along, my dear. All right. I'm glad you're here, Holmes. I'm sure I can speak quite freely in front of Dr. Watson. Oh, yes, with perfect freedom, sir. He's my colleague, and he's an old army man himself. Really? What regiment, Doctor? The Fifth Northumberland Fusiliers, sir. Later attached to the Berkshires in Afghanistan and, and wounded in, in the Battle of Mainwan. Really? <laughs> then I'm sure I can speak freely. Oh, honestly, um, Holmes, oh. uh... You know why you're up here so near the front line, don't you? I have a very shrewd suspicion, sir. Yeah, I thought you had. That's why I asked for you to be sent here. You asked for me to be sent here, General. Yes, I, I think I understand. Well, I wish I did. Uh, you will, Doctor, in due time. In the meanwhile, gentlemen, I'll have an orderly show you to your quarters. Thank you, sir. And, uh, Holmes, uh, take a look around, will you, and keep your ears open. Uh, where... 
comparatively a little distance from the German front lines, and yet there's a very puzzling silence just now. Yes, I noticed that, sir, and half an hour ago on our way up, there was just quite a lot of shilling. Exactly. It's unnatural and rather frightening at a time like this. You see, we're attacking at dawn. The enemy might be trying to infiltrate spies, and the whole success of this battle depends on a surprise attack. I quite understand, sir. Come on, Watson. Holmes, Holmes, the first performance starts in a few minutes, you know. They're all there waiting in it. Why are we tramping about out here in the mud and the rain? I thought a pipe or two in the open air would clear our brains. Yes, a <clears throat> pipe in the open air is one thing, but a pipe in a downpour of rain is another. Was it raining? Oh, didn't even notice it. I was listening to the silence. What do you mean? Thousands upon thousands of Germans, armed Germans, full of a blind fanatical hatred and desire to kill are crouched in trenches only a mile or two from here. Surrounding us are an equal number of English boys, also armed. And with the will, if not the desire, to fight. Because they know their cause is the cause of freedom and justice. All these thousands poised, ready to pounce on each other and fight to the death. And yet, beyond that patter of rain, there isn't a, isn't a sound to break the stillness of a September evening. Strange world we live in, old chap. You're being unusually rhetorical, Holmes. Yes, I am, aren't I? Let's be a little more practical, shall we? I wonder what is wrong with the actors tonight. Act? Oh, why do you ask that? Well, a little while ago, I noticed Mrs. Morris in a great state of excitement going towards the farmhouse where the general is. Then she went back to her own quarters, and now she seems to be headed in our direction. Is anything wrong, Mrs. Morris? It's Maitland. What's wrong with the madam? He's disappeared. Disappeared? What's happened? We were in the tent together, making up for our performance. When an orderly came in with a message, Maitland said it was from his brother. Slipped on a raincoat and went out, seeing he'd be back in a few moments. I waited and waited, and after a while I got worried, and I went over to see the general myself. He said that he'd sent no message, and that he hadn't seen any sign of Maitland. Good Lord, what can have happened to him? I don't know, Doctor, but I'm frightened. What shall I do, Mr. Holmes? You're a brave woman, Mrs. Morris. Brave? I don't know, Mr. Holmes. Why? Because the show must go on. I shall take your husband's place. At home, something's happened to Maitland Morris. He's in danger. He might be... True, Watson, true. Huh? But a thousand men inside that tent are in mortal danger, too. Tomorrow morning, many of them may be corpses on the fields of Flanders. But tonight, they've been promised to show. Do you think that you can do it, Holmes? Oh, I think I can, with the help of Mrs. Morris. I can't do it, Mr. Holmes. You can, Mrs. Morris, and you will. If only to uphold that great tradition of the theater that the show must go on. the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. Time I'd like to take to tell you that if you've got a butcher who has meat and you've got the points to get that meat, don't forget to bring home a bottle of Petri California Burgundy. Tell you why. That Petri Burgundy is a rich red mealtime wine that's wonderful with any meat or meat dish. That's a fact. Petri Burgundy can make a banquet out of a hamburger. And boy, Petri Burgundy and old-fashioned Irish stew are bosom companions. Just get yourself some Petri Burgundy and share it with your family. Petri Burgundy is the best friend a good meal ever had.
And now, back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. It is just before the Battle of the Marne in the First World War, and Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are at headquarters a few miles behind the front-line trenches. A famous Shakespearean actor who was to give a performance for the troops has mysteriously disappeared, and the great detective has taken his place at the last minute. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes, alone on the improvised stage, is delivering a Shakespearean speech before a spellbound audience. This little world, this precious stone set in a silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. Holmes, that shot, are you all right? Yes, old chap. Fortunately, I started to leave the stage as the shot was fired. The bullet just missed me. I heard it splinter some wood nearby. But who on earth would want to shoot you? That's what we've got to find out, though I think it more likely that the shot was intended for me. It was not intended for me, but for Maitland Morris, the man for whom I'm substituting. Well, even so, who'd want to shoot him? Oh, don't ask me so many questions, old fellow. Let's see what clues we can find. Now, the shot was fired from outside the tent from behind me. Yes, look there. See the hole in the tent there? By Jove, yes. Footlights would outline your shadow on the back of the tent. Whoever it must have, must have, must have fired at your silhouette. The question is, where did the bullet embed itself? Aha. Uh-huh. Look here, Watson. You got a pen knife? Yeah, wait a minute. Here, Holmes. This shouldn't be hard to extract. Look at this splintered tent pole. Wait a minute. There we are. Excellent. Very interesting. Well, what's so interesting about it? Just a revolver bullet, isn't oh, no, it? No, it isn't, Watson. What? It's fired from just a revolver bullet. This bullet was fired from a German Luger pistol. A German pistol? There must have been a spy here behind our lines. That's a reasonable enough assumption, as we may be sure that no English soldier would carry such a weapon and face inspection. Come on, I want to talk to Mrs. Morris. <laughs> Mrs. Morris, I want you to be very frank with me. But of course, Mr. Holmes. You know why your husband's missing, don't you? No, no, I don't. Have you found out anything? Come, come, madam. Why keep up this pretense any longer? I know that your husband is a spy, or at least a, a great sympathizer with the German cause. The general's brother a spy? Good Lord. How dare you say that? Because it's true. Foreign office have been suspicious of his sympathies for some time. His own brother knew it. That's why he asked to have me sent up here to keep an eye on him during his visit. It is true. Why should I keep up the pretense any longer? You see, Maitland was a disciple of Stuart Houston Chamberlain. Oh, who was this Stuart Houston Chamberlain? An Englishman who married one of Richard Wagner's daughters and became a German citizen and an arch enemy of England. I tried to dissuade Maitland. I implored him to consider his British heritage, his brother's name and mine. But Maitland was a strange man. His life was one of frustration and envy. Envy of his brother, I suppose. Yes. When Stanley was knighted, it it hurt Maitland terribly. He said it was typical that the English would knight a soldier and yet leave a great artist like himself unrecognized. That in Berlin, they really understood and rewarded the artist. Well, if the authorities knew that, it's amazing they allowed him to come so close to the front lines at a time like this. Oh, it was at the general's request. He wanted to plead with my husband to warn him that his secret was known. And now Maitland's gone over to the German lines. Oh, it's terrible. It's worse than that. It's, it's disastrous. He can give them information. This is the strength of our, our troops here. He knows the password. 
He might even know the hour of the attack is time to start. How did your husband expect to enter the German lines in safety, Mrs. Morris? He speaks fluent German, Mr. Holmes. I fancy the autograph book he was carrying containing the signature of Field Marshal von Tocknitz. But in reality, he's passed through the German line. You told the general that his brother was gone, of course. I haven't been able to. He moved up to the front line position immediately after the first performance. Though I had warned him what I thought Maitland was planning to do. I think he intended to give his performance first, then cross the lines immediately afterwards. But something must have made him change his mind. Perhaps he suspected I'd warned the general. Anyhow, as you know, when I got back to our quarters, he'd gone. Uh, did he leave any note, madam? Yes, he did. Here it is. Thank you. I have gone, my dear. Try and understand and forgive if you can. You wouldn't come with me, and so I'm taking what is left of my heart and my hopes where they belong, among the friends that understand and appreciate me. It is something stronger than love and blood and country that makes me do this. It is something dearer to me than life itself. Oh. Dearer to me than life itself. Oh, how could he? How could he? The shame of this will kill poor Stanley. Mr. Holmes, will you break the news to him? I know it's cowardly of me, but I just can't tell him myself. Don't worry, Mrs. Morris. I'll tell him. Dr. Watson and I will ask Cap Captain Maxwell to escort us to the General's frontline headquarters. In the meantime, try and keep calm. We'll tell him. If you will wait in the dugout, Mr. Holmes, I'll tell the General that you're here. Thank you, and be sure to let him know the urgency of the matter. Yes, sir. Holmes, this is a dreadful business. Yes, it is, Watson. Though if my plans work out correctly, I think the success of tomorrow's battle may not be imperiled. What plan? Listen. You know, Holmes, a strange silence from the German lines since we came here might be accounted for by the fact that they knew Maitland was making his getaway. They wouldn't want to risk wounding such a valuable spy. Quite possibly. What I still don't understand is who shot at you with a German pistol and why. You're being very dense, old fellow. Surely it's obvious that... There comes General Morris now. Poor devil. This is going to be a dreadful shock to him. Hello, Holmes. Uh, Dr. Watson? General Morris, I'm afraid there are bad news for you. Your brother has gone over to the German lines. Maitland did go there. I should have put him under an armed guard as soon as he came here, but, but I thought I could reason with him, appeal to his sense of honor. Instead of which you tried to shoot him, sir, but uh, fortunately for me, you missed. You see, I took his place at the first performance. But that shot was fired from a German pistol. True. That was when I first knew the general had fired the shot. But I still don't see how you could now. Only a high-ranking officer, not subject to inspection, could carry a non-regulation firearm. You're an old army man, you should know that. In any case, you'll observe that the general carries a luger at his waist. Wait, heavens, Holmes, I, I thought I was firing at Maitland. I, I had no idea that, that it was you. You intended to kill your own brother, sir? Yes, and I'm sorry I failed. I'd rather see my brother dead than alive and a traitor to mm. his country. But now he, he's safely in the German lines. Heaven knows what secrets he may be imparting. Oh. One thing we can be certain, huh? our chance of a surprise attack in the morning is gone. Possibly not, sir. Oh, what do you mean? You see, I took the liberty of altering your brother's credentials quite extensively. How, Holmes? I knew of his German sympathies. Mycroft had given me a great deal of information about him, and so I took it on myself to decide that it was unsafe to allow him so near the enemy lines with his own identification on him. Well, what did you do, Holmes? I took the liberty, sir, of stealing his autograph book, the one containing the magical signature of Field Marshal von Tocknitz. I have it in my pocket now. I think we shall find within its pages a code concealed in the various autographs, giving valuable information to the enemy. Good Lord. I also switched uh, military permits on him. 
I felt that in the event that he did go over to the German lines, his welcome might be less cordial if they were under the impression that they'd uh, captured Sherlock Holmes. To make that identification doubly sure, I also slipped in his pocket a slight souvenir of my own. Why, Joe Holmes, you mean that medal that was presented to you by the University of Leipzig? Exactly, old fellow. I no longer wish to uh, own a decoration given me by a country of barbarians, and it seemed a rather neat and effective way of returning it to them. So the Germans will think they've captured Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir, and unless I'm much mistaken, he'll receive very short shrift of their hands. Yes, they hate you. There's your answer, sir. I'm sorry. Well, don't be sorry, Holmes. It's better that way. Now his secret can die with him. Excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, yes, Maxwell, what is it? Would it be in order for me to return to headquarters now, sir? It's very nearly time for the second performance, and I've still been unable to trace the whereabouts of your brother. Well, my brother will not be acting tonight, I'm afraid. Holmes, I wonder if I might ask you to take his place once again. If you want me to, General. I do. Maitland had planned to do the St. Crispin speech from Henry V. Uh, he knew how much I loved him. I realize that, sir. Well, I was told the password up here. Well, can you remember the speech, Holmes? Oh, I think so. At any rate, I can try. Then do it for me, my dear fellow, will you? For me. I'll be very proud to do it, General. Goodbye and good luck. Thank you, Holmes. Captain Maxwell, uh, take them back to headquarters, will you? Uh, the men will be waiting for the performance. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And all their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispian's Day. Well, Doctor, that was a bit of an exciting adventure. You <laughs> no, I, I can still remember that awful feeling I had when I heard the shot in the tent and realized someone had tried to kill Holmes. He did have a narrow escape, didn't oh, he? Well, Holmes always said there was no such thing as a narrow escape. He said you either escaped or you didn't. If you did, well, why worry? And if you didn't, uh, you couldn't worry. So what? <laughs> Quite a philosophy. I'd uh, like to discuss it with you further. Uh, over uh, a bottle of wine? Uh, how else? Uh, what kind of wine? Uh, naturally. Uh, uh naturally. Uh, you couldn't ask for a more delicious wine than Petri. That's because the Petri family knows how to make good wine. They ought to. They've been making fine wine ever since they started the Petri business way back in the 1800s. And because the business has always been family-owned and operated, well, they've been able to hand on from father to son, from father to son, all they've ever learned about the art of turning luscious grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. That's why no matter what type Petri wine you buy for any occasion, you can be sure it's good wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, how's about giving us a clue to next week's Sherlock Holmes well, adventure? Well, next week, Mr. Trotter, I'm going to tell you in a most unusual adventure in which Holmes and I are trapped in an airtight metal chamber, our only companion being a murdered scientist. Well, sounds like a story we don't want to miss, Doctor. See you next week. Yes. Oh, just a second, Mr. Saturday. Before we go, I, I just want to tell our listeners that tonight we're broadcasting from the stage of the Paramount Theatre here in Hollywood on behalf of the 7th Wall-Owned Drive. The ticket of admission to the theatre was a war bond. I'm mentioning this to remind you, our friends, that you have an important part to play in making the 7th Wall-Owned a success. Buy more and buy bigger bonds than ever before. They're needed to pay for new super forts, 
new jet-propelled fighters, newer and bigger weapons to lick Japan. Remember, in spite of the magnificent achievements of our forces in the Pacific, the Japanese war has just begun. So let's go all out for the mighty seventh warlord. And now let's drop in on our good friend, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Foreman. Where are the puppies tonight? Well, I, I found them playing with a dead seagull, so they've been sent up to bed in disgrace. <laughs> you certainly look comfortable yourself, Doctor. Uh, what's that small blue book you're reading, the latest bestseller? No, 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 indeed not. This book was never a bestseller, my boy. It's entitled Practical Handbook of Bee Culture. With some observations on the segregation of the queen. Quite a catchy title. Who's the author? Fellow by the name of uh, Sherlock Holmes. He was engaged in writing it when the adventure I'm going to tell you about took place. Well, you told us last week, Doctor, that a pair of canaries played an important part in the story. That's quite right, Mr. Foreman. It was in the summer of 1908, I remember. And I'd persuaded Holmes to leave his Sussex bee farm for a few weeks and to join me in a holiday at the little fishing village of Kingsgate in Kent. We were staying at a charming little inn called the Fisherman's Arms. And for the first few days, our holiday was a delightful one. And then... And then, I suppose, Doctor, strange things began to happen. They did indeed, Mr. Foreman, they did indeed. Very strange things. One afternoon, we'd just finished a late tea, I remember, and we're sitting outside on the lawn sunning ourselves and enjoying our pipe. Holmes lay back with his long, thin fingers clasped behind his head, gazing thoughtfully at the multicolored fishing boats bobbing at anchor in the harbor. After a moment or two, he spoke to me. Watson, you're really a splendid companion. I can't think of anyone else who would let me smoke my pipe in silence for half an hour without asking me what I'm thinking about. That's not very surprising, Holmes, after all the years that we've been together. Well, nevertheless, the gift is a rare one, old chap, and I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, old fellow. Uh, by the way, since the half hour's up, what have you been thinking about? <laughs> a lack of enterprise of a modern criminal. Audacity and romance seem to have passed forever from the criminal world. Read this note I received this morning, old fellow. See for yourself how low I have sunk. Oh, have a look. Mr. Holmes, I am staying in the same inn as yourself, and as I have had a very frightening experience, I thought perhaps you would help me. Please do. It's signed Mary Victor. An exciting document, isn't it? written on London notepaper, reeking of perfume, and the handwriting is obviously that of an adolescent girl. You haven't bothered to answer, of course. Oh, yes, I have. I sent a message back by our good landlord that I would be glad to see her. Why, Holmes? You came down here to complete your handbook on bee farming. Oh. Confound it. Those two wretched canaries are getting their sunbath on the windowsill above us. Oh, I think it's rather jolly to hear those fellows chirping away up there. Well, I find the sound most distracting. Let's go inside. You know, Holmes, those birds are owned by a charming couple, a Mr. and Mrs. Wainwright. I was chatting with them on the stairs this morning. I'm afraid their charm will escape me as long as their pets continue to tweet in that irritating manner. You've spoken of the peace and quiet of the country inn, Watson, and yet I find that... Come in. Ah, Miss Mary Victor, I presume. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Please come in and close the door, won't you? Thank you. This is my old friend, Dr. Watson. You may speak quite freely in front of him. How do you do, Miss Victor? How do you do, Doctor? Now, sit down, young lady, and tell me what's troubling you. Mr. Holmes, I came down here from London to get away from someone, but I've been followed. 
I've been afraid to leave the inn. Until last night, I felt I couldn't stand being cooped up any longer. So I went for a walk on the seashore. Someone followed me, Mr. Holmes. I ran back here as fast as I could. But now he knows where I live. And I'm frightened. Please help me. My dear Miss Victor, I'm afraid you must be much more specific before I can help you. Who has followed you down here, and why are you afraid of him? I'll tell you the whole story. It'll sound strange to you, but I swear it. Oh, there he is again, down by the gate. I'm going to my room. Now, 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 now. Don't you be frightened, Miss Victor. I'm sure we'll be... What do you think? I don't see anyone outside who might frighten her. There are two or three fishermen loitering about. Wait a minute. Here's a young fellow walking up the path. Come on, Watson. Out through the French windows again. Oh, gracious me. Here we go again. I think we'll take the liberty of accosting him. Excuse me, sir. Yes? Are you looking for Miss Mary Victor? Is she young and pretty? Yes, sir. She is. Extremely so. Then I'm looking for her. Where can I find her? I can see you're being facetious, sir. Well, there's no harm in that, is there? By the way, who are you, gentlemen, may I ask? My name is Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. I'm Basil Carter. You're not Sherlock Holmes, are you? That is my name. I thought you seemed familiar. I know your brother, Mycroft. Oh, indeed. Then I presume you're connected with the Foreign Office. Yes, I'm in the Consular Service. Are you staying at the inn, young man? For a few days. It's funny that I should run into the great Sherlock Holmes. Why, may I ask? I was planning a murder. Oh, really? Uh, but with you gentlemen here, I see that I shall have to be very discreet. Uh, who is your intended victim, may I inquire? There are two of them. The two canaries in the room next to mine. Oh, canaries. <laughs> For a moment, I thought that you, you were really serious. But I am serious. The wretched creatures have been driving me mad. Yes, I quite sympathize with you, sir. I've been thinking of committing a slight case of mayhem on them myself. We can take one apiece, Mr. Holmes. Well, I'm glad to have met you both. I'll probably see you again. Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, goodbye, sir. Goodbye. I don't like that fellow, Holmes. If you ask me, he's the man who's been frightening the poor girl that came to us. He had a peculiar look on his face when you asked him if he was looking for Mary Victor. Well, there's only one person who can settle the question, and that's the young lady herself. Come on, old fellow. Let's go back indoors. Oh, shh, shh. Here comes Wainwright, the owner of the Canaries. Uh, good evening, Mr. Wainwright. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, this is uh, my friend, uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I am honored to meet you, sir. How do you do, Mr. Wainwright? Beautiful evening, isn't it? I just took a stroll down to the store to get some more birdseed. By the way, Mr. Holmes, I hope our canaries don't bother you. Little fellows are such a comfort to my wife and me. Oh, no, no, not at all, sir. I find that chirruping very soothing. Oh, I, I'm so glad. Good night, gentlemen. Oh, good night, sir. Good night, Mr. Wilson. Not Wilson, Mr. Holmes. Wainwright. Oh, I beg your pardon. I'm so sorry. I thought you said Wilson. Good night. Not like you to mix up names, Holmes. I didn't mix them up, old fellow. I never forget a face. Mr. Wainwright is in reality Wilson, the notorious canary trainer, whom I had the pleasure of sending to prison for a seven-year stretch in 95. Some years later, he made one of the most spectacular escapes from prison in the history of crime, and has since managed to evade all efforts to recapture him. Great Scott, he seems such a sweet old fellow. Well, possibly he's reformed, but I doubt it. Our stage is set for an intriguing problem, old chap, and our cast is an interesting one. A frightened young girl, a diplomat of uncertain integrity, and a noted criminal. Watson, I have a feeling that once again the game's afoot. Holmes, why are we strolling along the pier instead of staying at the inn? I thought you said that you were expecting trouble. I am, old chap, and I'm sure it will find us out. You know, Holmes, I'm still completely mystified by the behavior of that girl, Mary Victor. I knocked at her door last evening again this morning. I couldn't get any answer. And the landlord told me that she was not seen at dinner last night, nor at breakfast this morning. And yet her room has not been vacated. Curious. Hello, there's the village constable, sunning himself at the end of the pier. Yeah. 
Good morning, Sergeant Blake. Mr. Oates, Dr. Watson. How are you, gentlemen? Yes, and thank you, Sergeant, and very appreciative of the weather that you've provided for us. Oh, think nothing of it, sir. We always arrange that for our really distinguished visitors. Oh. <laughs> By the way, Mr. Holmes, I was reading one of your friend's stories about you last night. The one called The Adventure of Mysteria Lodge. That was, uh, Wisteria Lodge, you, you foolish fellow. <laughs> well, maybe it was. Anyway, I was reading it aloud to me, old woman. And if you don't mind my saying so, Mr. Holmes... We both thought you made a bad mistake. Oh, really? Though, of course, you come out all right in the end. Hear me, Sergeant. I stand reproved. Uh, excuse me, Sergeant. Holmes, Holmes, look. Look at that figure standing by itself right at the end of the pier. Mm-hmm. Our friend Wilson, the canary trainer. He's got a revolver. Here, here. We don't want any of these going on in Kingsgate. Come on. Here, you. What are you doing waving that revolver about? Keep back, the three of you. I'm the law here. Don't you tell me what to do. Keep back, I say. I'm not afraid to fire. Don't do as he says, Sergeant. You don't want to trifle with. Just exactly what are you up to, Wilson? You've caught up with me once again, Sherlock Holmes. But this time you're not going to send me back to a prison again. And maybe the gallows. If I can't escape you, then I'll take my own way out with this. Wilson, what in thunder are you talking about? The murder at the inn last night. I did it. Murder? I'm confessing in front of the three of you. Oh, you leave my wife alone. She didn't know anything about it. Now... I hope you're satisfied, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. He's pointing the revolver as he has. Sir, you fool, stop it. Strike me pink. He done it. Over the pier and into the sea. Get help, Sergeant. It's possible he isn't dead. Right, sir. Come on, Watson. We're going back to the inn, I suppose. Of course we are. We've just heard a murder confession, but we don't know who has been murdered. Holmes, Holmes, what was the telegram that you, you sent off just now? A message to my brother, Mycroft. The innkeeper informed me that Basil Carter, the young diplomat we met yesterday, took me in rather hurriedly in the early hours of this morning. Come on, let's go upstairs. Well, we'll have to break the news to Mrs. Wainwright, I suppose. Before we do that, I think we'll see if Miss Victor's in her room. Which one is it? Here, top of stairs. Hmm. We'll take the liberty of looking in. Victor hasn't been seen since last night. Uh-huh. Unlocked. Lord, what a mess. Strewn all over the place. Open suitcases. Yes, it Look looks at this. as if the young lady had been planning an immediate departure. Where can't you be? No one's seen her since last night. Mary, I... Oh. Oh, I beg your pardon, gentlemen. I thought I heard Mary Victor come in. I'm Mrs. Wainwright. Mrs. Wainwright. I'm, uh... I'm afraid we have some rather, rather bad news for you. Your husband shot himself a quarter of an hour ago at the end of the pier and his body fell into the sea. Is he dead? We must presume so, madam. I left the police sergeant there searching for him. Sergeant Blake should be back here any moment now. So he did it. After all. You don't seem very surprised, madam. Well, he threatened to do it. Mrs. Wainwright, before your husband shot himself, he confessed to committing a murder... In this inn last night. A murder? Whose murder? At the moment, we're not quite sure. Oh, he must have been out of his mind. Mrs. Wainwright, I'm afraid I must ask you some rather painful questions. Are you aware that your husband was a criminal? That he served a prison sentence under the name of Wilson? Yes, I knew that. He told me when we were married two years ago. But he said that he'd gone straight ever since he'd come out of prison. That's why he changed his name. He was trying to make a fresh start. You know no reason for his planning to kill anyone at this inn? None. 
And unless you find someone murdered, I wouldn't give too much thought to it. Yes, if you'll forgive my saying so, madam, you seem remarkably unmoved by your husband's tragedy. Why should I pretend? We were very unhappy together. This might be the best way out of it for both of us. My husband carried quite a large amount of life insurance. In the event of suicide, would that be payable? And on the policy, madam, then I must say that uh, from your attitude, I begin to doubt whether your husband is dead. What do you mean? I mean that if Mr. Wilson, or if you prefer it, Mr. Wainwright, wished to disappear in spectacular style, what could be simpler than to pretend to shoot himself, drop into the Mr. sea? Mr. Allen! Mr. Allen! I'm up here, Sergeant. Ah, did you find him? Yes, Mr. Allen. We fished him out right away. Dead is a doornail. Shot himself to the head, he did. Well, that disposes of your last theory, Holmes. Did you find the revolver, Sergeant? Yes, ma'am. Got it right here with me. One bullet missing. Have you found out if anyone here has been murdered, Mr. Holmes? I found out very little as yet. Wait a moment. Listen. I don't hear anything. Exactly. You hear nothing. Yet we're within a few feet of the Wainwright's room. What do you mean, Mr. Holmes? I mean that... Uh, there's one sound we should be hearing very clearly at the moment. Why did I think of it before? The sound of your canaries chirruping. You've heard little else for days. Come on, Watson. Where are you going? Your room, madam. I'm afraid I must uh, dispense with asking your permission. You're already in my room. It seems a little late even to mention the subject. Here's the birdcage and the windowsill. Holy, where's the gun? No, old chap. If you look more closely, you'll see them on the bottom of the cage. Let me open this door and get one of them out. Joe oh, Holmes, they're dead. And yet when we entered the inn a few minutes ago, they were still chirruping. But who on earth would want to kill a couple of birds? That, my dear fellow, is one of the things we have to find out. So far, I must admit, I'm puzzled. We have a self-confessed murderer, and the nearest thing we can find to a corpse... The pair of dead canaries. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Strange events are taking place in the Kentish fishing village of Kingsgate. A self-confessed murderer has committed suicide, but his victim cannot be found. As we rejoin our story, the great detective and his old friend Dr. Watson are once again examining the room of Mary Victor, one of the missing guests. You know, Holmes, the murder that Wilson confessed to before he committed suicide might have been the, the killing of those two canaries. I think not, old chap. Wilson obviously loved the creatures and kept them in spite of the fact that they were dangerously apt to identify him with his criminal past. Uh-huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Huh? What have you found? This note lying on Miss Victor's dressing table. Yeah. Let's have a look. You think you can hide from me, Mary, but you can't. Wherever I go, I shall follow you. So why not get wise to yourself and stop Running away. <laughs> Sounds as if the poor girl was in danger, all right. Possibly, but the writer of that note was certainly obliging. Though the letter is unsigned, he at least gives us a clue to his identity. Oh, what clue? The phrase, get wise to yourself, is very un-English. It's American. Come on, old chap. Well, where are we going now? The envelope to this letter has the Kingsgate postmark on it. I should be surprised if that fount of all knowledge, the village postmistress, can't help us find an American visitor. I know the young man you must be looking for, gentlemen. His name's Walter C. Bunker. He's been in here to send telegrams, and his accent's so strong you could cut it with a knife. Just like one of the Red Indian fellows you read about, uh, you can know. Can you tell me where he lives, uh, madam? Well, there can, sir. He's been rooming at Mrs. Bell's house. 
Uh, 15 Labanum Grove, uh, down behind the gasway. 15 Labanum Grove, Mrs. Bell. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very much obliged to you. Mrs. Bell? Yes, sir. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Well, we understand that uh, Mr. Walter Bunker has been staying with you, madam. Yes, he has. A nice young American gentleman. Is he at home, may I ask? No, sir. Nothing worried about him. This morning, when he goes out, he asks me what nearest cemetery is. Cemetery? Gracious me. Huh? I tell him, and then he gives a queer kind of laugh. I'm not sure I'll see you anymore, he says. And then he walks off, and I haven't seen him since. I tell you, I'm worried about him, gentlemen. And where is the nearest cemetery, Mrs. Bell, the one you directed him to? About three miles from here. Mm -hmm. Just this side of Branson Woods. Thank you, madam. Come on, Watson. The cemetery seems deserted. Shh. Where did come from? The church. Oh, Lord, it's a funeral. Or a wedding. Come on. By Jove, it is a wedding, Holmes. Wait, we're on the false trail. But we'd better make sure. Shh. Quiet, gentlemen, please. The ceremony is just ending. Just one question. Can you tell me the names of the couple who've just been married? Miss Mary Victor from the inn, and a young American by the name of Bunker. Thank you. Yes, we have been following a false trail, confound it. The frightened young lady was merely frightened by her persistent American fiancé. Threatening letter that he sent her. Ambiguously worded, when you come to think of it. Anyway, we can cease to worry about Miss Victor. She is now Mrs. Bunker. I think we can assume that she's out of all danger. Oh, we've got to start all over again. Oh, no, no, my dear fellow. The field is narrowing. We'll head back to the inn now, and I have a feeling that we're on the last lap of our strange adventure. Ah. Yes, here's another suspect eliminated. This telegram is from my brother, Mycroft. I telegraphed him earlier on today to check on the movements of uh, Basil Carter, the young man who left the inn so mysteriously in the early hours of this morning. His answer informs me that the gentleman in question was recalled to the foreign office suddenly and arrived quite safely a few hours ago. Well, now I'm completely puzzled. And I, old fellow, at last see daylight. Wish I did, Mr. Earl. Sergeant, go upstairs and get the dead man's widow and bring her to my room, please. Uh, and then I think I can give you the solution to this problem. What do you want with me, Mr. Holmes? Mr. Madam, you and Sergeant Blake make yourselves comfortable. Now, in the first place, the murder occurred this morning and not last night. I know what you're hinting at. The canaries. I admit I killed them. But you can't do anything to me for that. Why did you kill those birds? I hated them as much as my husband loved them. And when I knew he was dead, their singing drove me mad. And so I killed them. But they must have been already dead when we told you of your husband's suicide. True, Watson, but the lady was uh, fully aware that her husband was dead when we informed her of the fact. You see, uh, she murdered him. You're talking rubbish. Yes, Mr. Holmes. How could she have murdered him? We saw him shoot himself before our eyes. Because when Wilson raised that revolver to his head, he was convinced that it contained blank cartridges. Unfortunately for him, his wife had deliberately replaced the blanks with live cartridges. But great heavens, why? How? Let me reconstruct the case for you. Wilson, with the connivance of his wife here, had contrived a disappearance plot. He knew that I had spotted his real identity, and so he planned this rather dramatic exit. He confessed to a non-existent murder, and then, well, had his plan materialized, he was to shoot himself with a blank. All from the pier and apparent suicide. What a fantastic scheme, but 
How did he plan to get away? Well, he would have swum under the water, safe distance, and so made his escape. Oh, his plan couldn't have worked possibly. Oh, probably not, probably not. But at least it was ingenious. He would have destroyed his true identity. And had had his revenge on me by making me search for a murder that had never been committed. Unfortunately for him, his wife was his accomplice and saw in the scheme an excellent way of killing her husband. You think you're so very clever, Mr. Holmes. But even if it were true... How could you prove it? Observe this revolver, Mrs. Wilson. It's the one your husband shot himself with. What can you prove from that? Ever hear of fingerprint tests? I've heard of them. But that revolver's been underwater. True, quite true. But uh, thanks to the researches of my excellent friend, Dr. John Thorndyke, an infallible test has been discovered for recording fingerprints even after immersion in seawater. I applied the test to the prints on the revolver and the bullets and compared them with some that we found on the water glass in your room. They are the same, Mrs. Wilson. Now, does a man let his wife load his suicide weapon, Sergeant Blake? I think it's obvious that the time has come for you to take over the case. All right. All right, so I did change the bullets. I hated him. I'm glad he's dead. What's more, I do it again. Mr. Holmes. Yes, Sergeant Blake? Well, now that I've taken Mrs. Wilson to the station and booked her on a murder charge, I wonder if you'd mind answering a question. Uh, this uh, fingerprint ah. test. I'd like to know about that. I've I never heard of, of being able to take prints after a revolver has been handled two or three times and soaked in salt water. Yes, Holmes, and I'd like to know when you performed the test and took the prints off the glass in her room, I, I thought that I was with you all the time. <laughs> you were, my dear fellow. Well, then, I... I can give you the answer in one word. Bluff. Huh? There is no such test, my dear Watson. It would be almost impossible to expect clear prints after so much handling and totally impossible after submersion. Fortunately for us, though, Mrs. Wilson was gullible enough to believe me and uh, give me a confession. And there's no such person as Dr. John Thorndyke? Oh, yes, yes, indeed there is. A great success here in the case of the Red Thumbnock. You didn't tell me about that case, huh? No, no, I didn't. It was deliberate, old chap. With your taste for uh, writing sensational stories, I was afraid you might publish the affair. Huh? Would it have mattered if I had? Oh, yes, it would. Hmm? Uh, you would have given away, uh, what shall I say, professional secrets? You would have provided the public, and in particular, the criminal public, with a complete education on fingerprints. And when that happens, my dear Watson, we shall have no tricks left. That will be a sad day for detectives. And now let's look in on our good friend, Dr. Watson, and see if he's expecting us. Oh, come in. Come in, Mr. Bartell. You're just the man I've been expecting. How are you, Dr. Watson? It's good to see you again. Oh, thank you, my boy. It's very nice to see you again, too. I've missed our Monday night visits during the last three months. Sit yourself down. Uh, would you care to join me in a, in a glass of port? Thanks, Doctor. That'd be nice. You know, it seems to me after our summer vacation, a toast to the great Sherlock Holmes would be in order. That's an excellent idea. Here you are, young Fumlet. Thanks. You propose the toast, Doctor. To Sherlock Holmes, master detective and loyal friend, whose adventures have brought considerable, we say, fame to a certain retired doctor now living in Northern California. I'll drink to that. Well, now, suppose I might as well get on with tonight's story. Which particular adventure have you selected, Doctor? One that I call the Limping Ghost. Sounds exciting. And, as usual, you find me saying, how did it begin? In Baker Street on a windy December evening at the turn of the century. A young, white-faced boy sat in front of our blazing fire. 
And as he told us his strange story, the flickering firelight danced weird patterns on the walls. The young man was Alexander McMorris, the seventh Earl of Loch Nair. The Earl of Loch Nair? Say, uh, didn't I read in the papers the other day that the eighth Earl of Loch Nair had been killed in an airplane accident? Quite right, my boy. Even in this day and age, the tragic history of violent death seems to dog the footsteps of the Loch Nair family. But to return to my story. On that December night in 1900, we heard the whole history of the limpings of Loch Nair. The first Earl had lost a foot at the Battle of Flodden Field in 1513. In spite of this terrible handicap, he fought on valiantly until he died on the battlefield from loss of blood. From then on, right until the time this story begins, the limping ghost, clad in a suit of armor, always appeared at Loch Nair Castle before and after the death of the current Earl. Yes, Mr. Bartell, it was a strange story that Sherlock Holmes and I listened to that night. A story of death and horror over the centuries, punctuated by the limping clank of ghostly armor. Milady, I have terrible news for you. Your husband, the Earl, was killed in the explosion that destroyed Lord Darnley. Milady, the Guy Fawkes plan to blow up the Houses of Parliament has failed. Your husband is in the Tower of London. They say he's to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. <laughs> Madam, I regret to inform you that your husband, on my instructions, has been arrested for murder. I have no doubt that he And that's the story of the Loch Nairs, Mr. Holmes. You were instrumental in sending my great uncle to the gallows, a fate which he richly deserved, I'm told. So, it seemed only natural to come here to Baker Street and consult you now that I'm in trouble. I shall be most happy to do anything I can to help you, sir. I don't remember anything about your sending the old Loch Nair to the scaffold, Holmes. Well, he did, Dr. Watson. Mm-hmm. And the servants have always sworn the ghost really did walk at midnight on the day that he was hanged. Indeed. Now, sir, I suggest that you tell us what problem brought you here. The ghost is walking again, Mr. Holmes. You know what that means. According to the legend, that the present Earl will die. Exactly. And as I'm the present Earl, <laughs> you can see why I'm rather worried. Am I to understand that you've actually seen this ghost yourself? Yes, Mr. Holmes. The night before last... Betty, well, that is, Miss Nolan and I, were sitting in the dining hall in front of the fire when we heard a strange sound up in the musicians' gallery. We looked up and in the moonlight saw a ghostly figure in armor limping towards the staircase. Oh, gracious me. Uh, my dear sir, you're certain that you really saw it? Moonlight can play strange tricks, you know. There wasn't any doubt about it, Doctor. We both really? saw and heard it. What did you do? I started to go towards the stairs, but as I did so... Betty screamed and then tumbled to the floor in a heap. Mm. Fainted, I suppose. Yes. While I was reviving her, the, the ghost disappeared. Who's staying with you at Lochner Castle at the moment? Well, there's Betty Nolan. She's the sister of James Nolan. He looks after my estate. Uh, Betty and I are engaged to be married. Oh, thank you. Yes, indeed. Anyone else staying with you? Yes. A distant cousin of mine, Jeremy K. McMorris, an American. He turned up in England a couple of months ago with his son, Walter. They're both with me at the present. A distant cousin. That's right, Mr. Holmes. Actually, the descendants of a more than usually black sheep branch of the family. I, uh, I don't know how long the old man's going to be with us, though. You ask me, he's a dying man. Why do you say that, sir? As far as I can gather, he's been wasting away for years. It's only a question of time before his strength fails him entirely. I, uh, 
was hoping perhaps you could take a look at him, Dr. Watson. That is, uh, if I could persuade you and Mr. Holmes to come and stay at the castle for a few days. Well, what about it, Holmes? It's an intriguing problem, Watson. The current Earl of Lochner would seem to be in danger. A cousin of his is dying of an obscure disease, and the ghost of Lochner Castle is walking again. Yes, it's an irresistible invitation. I see no reason why we can't leave on the Scotch Express tonight. Quite a heavy fall of snow here in your absence, young man. Quite so. And judging from the color of the sky, there's more to come. Oh, very angry looking. Hmm. Oh, now as we round this bend, you'll be able to see the castle. Ah, yes. There you are, gentlemen. Huh. Magnificent. Yes, it's a fine place, all right, Doctor, though it cost me a great deal in upkeep. Matter of fact, I only have one wing open. There's always been something of a problem to get servants to come and live here. See, the local villagers have a great respect for the Loch Nair ghost, you know. What servants do you have at the castle at present? A cook housekeeper, Mrs. McClintock, fine old lady who's been with me for six years now. And then there's old Tamas. He served my family for as long as I can remember. As a matter of fact, it is now. Hello, Tamas. I'm glad to see you back, my lord, and that's a fact. Oh, thank you, Tamas. Oh, these gentlemen are Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson. Good day to you, gentlemen. Good day, Thomas. Good day. Uh, before I trap round to the stables, I may as well break the news to you. Yes, what's happened, Tamas? It's your cousin, my lord. Poor old Mr. McMorris, he's dead. What? Died early this morning. God rest his soul. He's dead? Well, I'm very sorry that I arrived too late to be of any help. Well, thank you for telling me, Tamas. Oh, you may take the trap round now. Aye, sir. I'll bring the baggage on me. So he's dead. Well, I can't say it's unexpected, but... It is a shock, nevertheless. I'm sure that it must be, particularly as you yourself told us you saw the ghost of Loch Nair the night before last. In which case... In which case, Watson, I think we may reasonably expect another visitation. Perhaps before the night is over. Shall we go in? This is Miss Nolan, my fiancée, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and Dr. Watson. I'm very glad to meet you. How are you, Miss Nolan? And uh, this is her brother, James Nolan, the manager of my estate. How do you do, sir? How are you, Mr. Nolan? Much better for seeing you both up here. I'm sure it won't take you long to lay this ghost business by the heels. Oh, well, I trust you don't overestimate our abilities, Mr. Nolan. Alec, you've, you've heard about your cousin, of course. Oh, yes, my dear. Thomas told us as we drove up. Where's Walter? He went into the village with the doctor and... The body of his father. Oh. He should be back soon. How's he taking it? Very quietly. Too quietly, if you ask me. Those Americans are pretty demonstrative people, you know. And Walter's been no exception. But he behaved very strangely this morning. When the doctor told him his father was dead, he just said, now things will start to happen and then shut up like an oyster. I can't make head or tail of the fellow. Uh, yes, quite so, quite so. Uh, Mr. Holmes, I expect you and Dr. Watson would like to go to your room. Yes, I must I think first I'd like to take a look at the um, musician's gallery, if you don't mind. Oh, yes, of course. Would you excuse us, darling? All right, Alec. It's uh, in the dining hall here. <laughs> they must have been very hospitable people in those days. Fifty or sixty people could eat at that table. <laughs> yes, Doctor. Needless to remark, we hardly ever use the room nowadays. There's the musician's gallery, Mr. Holmes. Oh, yes, yes, I see. How do we get up there? I'll show you. See, there's a stone staircase behind this tapestry here. Follow me. Watch your step. It's quite narrow, rather dark. 
Watch your head, Watson, old chap. Oh, don't worry about me, Holmes. I'm perfect. Oh, I say. Must have built these stairs for pygmies. Oh, yes. Here we are, gentlemen. This is the musician's gallery. By Jove. You must have made a pretty picture in the days gone by. A little string orchestra fiddling away up here and down below the Scottish nobility bobbing and floating round in the intricacies of a Highland chatiche or a stately gavotte or something. Where does that door lead to? To the bedroom wing. And that's where the ghost appeared from the other night, I suppose. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Uh-huh. Doors jar. You generally keep this door unlocked, sir? Why, no. But the key mysteriously disappeared about a week ago. James is having a new one made. So I must remind him about that. Alex! Oh. oh, we're up here, Walter. We're coming down. That's Walter McMorris. My dead cousin's son. Well, fellow, this must be a dreadful day for him. Yes, I, I'm afraid this is going to be a rather painful interview. Oh, hello, Walter. This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Sherlock Holmes, sir. I've heard about you and your friend, Dr. Watson. Walter, old man, I'm dreadfully sorry about your father. Are you now? Isn't that nice of you? Well, you'll be sorry enough when you hear that I'm going to take you to court and prove that I'm the real Earl of Lochmere. Walter, you're out of your mind. Am I? No. Father was out of his because he kept quiet all these years. But I'm going to have my rights. I've looked up the records. I've had genealogists working for months. And I've got all the facts that prove you're an imposter. Oh, man, what are you talking about? You know well enough. When Sherlock Holmes here sent your great uncle to the gallows 20 years ago, the title and estate should have come to my father. When I leave here tomorrow, I'm going straight to the finest lawyer in London. Man, if you believe this, why have you said nothing about it till now? Because I'm smart. I found out a thing or two since I've been staying here. And one of the things I found out is that your precious fiancée and her brother wouldn't look twice at you if it weren't for your money and the title. Shut up. You'll find out. She's a smart little filly, and she knows what kind of a track she's running Are on. you got... My compliment, sir. A very professional uppercut. Yes, and a very well-deserved one. I... Offensive scoundrel. Sorry about this. Uh, please don't say anything in front of Betty. Don't upset her. I quite understand. Come along, Watson. Let's go and find our rooms. Nearly dinner time. Why are we wandering about here in the dark instead of having a glass of sherry with the others in the library? I'm a conscientious practitioner, Watson. I like to earn my fees. It uh, occurred to me that a further examination of this dining hall might prove profitable. Well, personally, Holmes, I think you're wasting your time on this case. <laughs> what makes you think that, old chap? It's perfectly obvious that young American fellow was impersonating the ghost a few nights ago. He knew his father was going to die and he wanted to build up the legend... So does it make his own claim seem more believable? Well, that's very sound reasoning, Watson. Though to be logical in his deception, he should repeat the performance now that his father is dead. Well, ghosts only walk at midnight. So why don't we go and have a glass of sherry? Shh. Hmm? What is it, Holmes? Someone's coming in from the library. The lighted candle. Yes? Who is it? It's me, Mrs. McClintock. Oh, gracious me. You, you gave me quite a start. I heard voices and I knew the candles were not alight in here, so I came in to see who it was. You're watching for the ghost, I suppose. Well, you'll no be disappointed, gentlemen, though you may see more than you bargain for. Those that meddle with ghostly things that in a prehend are playing with something much more dangerous than fire. Fire burns. But the shades on dead people... Holmes, Holmes, look up there in the gallery. The door's opening. 
It's the ghost. Aye, here he comes, the poor buddy. See the armor on him and the way he's dragging one leg behind him. Yes, it's really quite an effective impersonation. And the twilight provides most appropriate lighting for his play acting, too. You mean it's the young American? Of course. Obviously. <laughs> look, look behind him. There's another figure. Yes. Dressed in the same kind of armor and carrying a sword. King's foot, Watson. The ghost has seen him. He's turning. The second figure's raising his sword. Look out! Great heavens. He's knocked him through the railings. That must be a 20-foot fall. Come on, old fellow. Help me open his visor. Just a minute. Yes. It's Walter McMorris, the American. Though from the angle of his head, I would suggest that it might be the late Walter McMorris. Eh, Watson? He's dead all right, huh? Back broken. Meanwhile, the second figure has been able to slip back through that one escape us. Come on, he was dressed in armor. He can't go very fast. Perhaps we can overtake him. Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a few seconds, which is all the time I need to tell you about Petri California Muscatel. Ever try Petri Muscatel? It's a wine that looks like sheer gold, and it's made from big, plump, juicy Muscat grapes. Boy, pop one of those Muscat grapes into your mouth, and you know you've got something delicious. You know that. And you get the same flavor in Petri Muscatel. It's a perfect wine to serve a lady. Women love it. And that best time to serve it is after dinner or on a Sunday afternoon, you know, times like that. But just make sure it's Petri Muscatel, because that's the way to make sure it's going to be good. Remember, Petri. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure and the story of the limping ghost of Loch Nair. There's no trace of the ghost in the musician's gallery. We gave him too much of a start, I'm afraid. <laughs> of course you didn't find him. You'll never find him because he's not mortal. Mrs. McClintock, is the original suit of armor the one worn by the first Earl of Loch Ness still in the castle? Aye, sir. It's in the library through that door there. I'll take you to it. Don't bother, thank you. We'll find it. Come on, Watson. Bring that candle with you. Right, Joe. If you know what's good for you, you'll stop dabbling in it as your dinner really can. Holmes, what do you make of the second ghost? An imposter, obviously. But who could it have been? That's what we have to find out, old chap. Undoubtedly, someone knew that the American Walter McMorris was impersonating the ghost and used this macabre method to kill him. But why kill him? Possibly his claims to the title and estate were valid. Or perhaps some fanatic was so devoted to the Lochner legend that he assumed the role of ghost and killed him for his sacrilege. Hold the candle a little higher, will you, old chap? Here you are. Hello. Here's a suit of armor, Holmes. Lying in a heap on the floor. Oh, on the floor, eh? Well, as it obviously belongs, on that stand over there. It's perfectly clear what's happened. The second figure used this armor and slipped it back in here while we were examining the dead man. Possibly, Watson, possibly. At least this armor gives us a definite clue. But it limits the field of possible suspects. How do you mean, Holmes? Well, it's an interesting fact that the human race has grown definitely larger in the past 400 years. Very few modern men can wear authentic ancient armor like this. For example, take the first item on the top of the heap lying on the floor here. These gauntlets of chain mail. Try them on. Well, that's too small for exactly. me. Neither you nor I could have worn this suit. No, no, no nor could young Nolan, the estate agent. Whereas his sister could have done. Yes, so could Thomas the butler. He's a small fellow. And if it comes to that, Watson, 
Our distinguished client, the young Earl of Loch Nair, is himself a small man. Right, so he is. And he might easily have had a motive. Young McMorris had disputed his right to the title earlier in the day. But we mustn't jump to conclusions. Nevertheless, you see what valuable evidence this arm has become. Hello, hello. It sounds as if the rest of the party are on the scene. Yes, I suggest that we join them without making any reference to this suit of armor. Remember, old chap, one of them in there is a murderer. And we may have to set a trap to catch him. Uh, are you sure he's dead, Dr. Watson? There's no doubt about it. His neck was broken instantly by the fall. It's dreadful. Her and son both dying on the same day. And you said the real ghost came up behind him, Mr. Holmes, and struck him so they crashed through the railing up there. I said another figure dressed in armor and killed him, Mr. Nolan. It was a real ghost. I saw him with my own two eyes. He killed that man for trying to bring shame on the name of Loch Nair. Couldn't we get in touch with the police? How can I get a message to them tonight? Have you looked outside? We're almost completely... Snowden. Oh, Alec, I'm frightened. Oh, hush, darling. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. No, at least we have the assurance that the ghost will not limp again. Why? Well, the murderer has no further motive for impersonating the ghost. To walk now would be to support the dead American's claims. No, we shall spend a quiet night, and tomorrow I shall communicate with the proper authorities as to my quite definite notions regarding the murderer's identity. Uh, but if the ghost should walk again, Mr. Hurd? Well, then, sir, I shall know that at last I have encountered a truly supernatural crime and shall retire from the practice of, uh, of detection. <laughs> It's nearly two o'clock. You still over there at the window, puffing away that pipe of yours? Oh, you know, I can't help feeling that young McMorris knows a great deal more than he told us. A great deal more. But you look about him, I don't like. Never did trust a fellow. Could look you squarely in the eyes. Don't you feel the same way, Holmes? Holmes. Holmes, where are you? Holmes! Shh, Black Watson. Where have you been? I thought you were over there by the window. I've uh, been talking to myself. Never mind that, old chap. Get just on in the dressing gown. We're on the last lap of this strange, eventful tragedy. Oh, thank the Lord for that. Perhaps I can get some sleep. Holmes, where have you been? I went to the musician's bay and baited the trap. Now it's ready to spring. Don't dawdle, Watson. Come I'm on, come on. I'm not dawdling. I'm not dawdling. What do you mean you, you baited a trap? You'll see for yourself in a few moments. As a matter of fact, I really baited it when I said downstairs that if the real ghost should walk again, I would retire from the practice of detection. I didn't understand you saying that myself. Well, I was tempting the murderer to show his hand once more. Come on, come on, please. Where are we going? To wait behind the curtain at the foot of the stairs leading to the musician's gallery. And I hope we don't have to wait very long. Holmes. I'm getting a crick in my neck trying to peer through this wretched curtain. How much longer do we have to wait? Our murderer arrives. Are you, are you certain he'll come? Not certain, but hopeful. Extremely hopeful. You know who it is, don't you? Yes. But my proof is too thin for a court of law. I must catch him in the act. Here he comes. Splendid. Let's go up and grab him. No, 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 no. They walk into my trap. He's coming towards the head of the stairs. Oh! Great Scott! Exactly. A simple piece of wire stretched across the gallery is remarkably effective, even with ghosts. Come on, Watson. Help me off with his visor. There we are. Oh. Good Lord, it's 
Oh, it's James Nolan. Exactly. Well, what's happened? You walked into a simple trap, my friend. I'm afraid the next trap will be more lethal, for it will undoubtedly prove to be the one beneath the gallows. Now that we're headed back for London, Holmes, perhaps you'll settle one or two points in the case that are bothering me quite a bit. Uh, With pleasure, my dear chap. What are they? I still don't see what Nolan's motive was in murdering the American. Oh, that should be obvious. He wanted to ensure that his sister's fiancé would enjoy undisputed title to the name estates. How did you know it was Nolan? When I examined the authentic suit of armor. You see, it was um, obvious it had never been worn. But I still don't quite understand. Oh, come now, old chap. The suit of armor was in a heap on the floor. Yeah? And if it had been hastily discarded, and yet, um, well, the gauntlets were on top of the pile, you remember? That's right, they were. If the suit had really been worn, the gauntlets would have been the first things to have been taken off, and so would have been um, underneath the pile. Hmm? Obviously, therefore, the armor had been disarranged in order to make people believe the real ghost had walked. After the American's death, the suspects were four. Miss Nolan, her brother, Thomas, the butler, and... Earl himself. Well, I ruled out Mrs. McClintock because, you remember, she was standing behind us at the time of the murder. Well, I'm beginning to understand. All the suspects except Nolan were small enough to have worn the armor. That's right. Therefore, only he could have pretended to use it. Pretended? But he, he did use it. Oh, no, my dear fellow. Undoubtedly, he procured a similar one of modern manufacture. An amazing case, Holmes. An interesting one at any rate. And once again, old fellow, I'm possibly reminded of an old Scottish litany. Scottish litany? Which one's that? Oh, you remember it. From ghoulies and tis and long-legged beasties... And things that go bump in the night. Good Lord, deliver us. Well, Doctor, that really is a swell story. You know, for a while there, I was beginning to believe in ghosts. Well, I'm ashamed to admit it, but at the time, so was I. <laughs> you know, this sounds silly, but I bet it would be fun to be one of those legendary English ghosts. You know, go around sticking your nose into everybody's business and playing practical jokes like mad and nobody able to figure out who did it. That would really be fun in a way. Well, you can go around scaring people all you want to, but not for me. I think a ghost leads a terrible life itself. For instance, a ghost can't have the pleasure of eating a nice, juicy steak. Yeah, or drinking a glass of really good wine. Ah, now you're talking, young fellow, my lad. Petri wine. Yeah, still talking. Uncle. You see, when I say good wine, I always mean Petri wine because you can depend on Petri. I know, I know. Why, the Petri family has been making wine for generations. Handing on down from father to son, from father to son, all their skill and knowledge and experience. When you realize they started the Petri business way back in the 1800s, well, common sense tells you the Petri family knows practically all there is to know about the fine art of turning luscious grapes into clear, fragrant wine. Yep, whether you're looking for a swell wine to serve before dinner or with dinner or after dinner, for any occasion, you just can't go wrong with a Petri wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Doctor, what story are you going to next week? Well, now, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a strange adventure that Holmes and I had in the English countryside. It concerns the apparent madness of a certain Colonel Warburton and the puzzling mystery of two dead dogs. Well, 
I hope you enjoyed this mega set. The betrayal of an unhappy wife, an actor would-be traitor, and a ghost or visage that isn't so ghostly. Did you have a favourite of the three? Mine would be the first. The bluff that Holmes pulled on the murderous wife, the constant bewilderment put forward by Watson, and also the banter between Watson and Holmes was quite charming. Nothing like solid character building, right? I must say though, I'm not sure if Holmes's bluff would hold up in today's court, because wouldn't that be considered entrapment? <laughs> Feel free to weigh in on this folks, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Mates, thank you for listening tonight. If you like what I do and have 10 seconds spare, subscribe and leave an iTunes review, and you get three weekly episodes from me. And if you love what I do, like my awesome new white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, and all my Patreon supporters, you can visit my Patreon page and support me directly at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. And if you ever want to reach me by email, you can send me a message at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com where you can submit stories of your own, make suggestions, or just chat to me directly. And now I want to thank my jaw-dropping all-star, my old night tea titan, Maya, the queen of epic cats. Mate, thanks to you, I've been able to change my website host, which is a big deal. I'm constantly trying to make the most out of the funds I get from you lovely Patreons, and today I put forward 306 US dollars to ensure that for the next three years, I have website space, a domain, and security for the website. If I hadn't done that though, I'd be paying $260 for one year with my current host, so I saved 312 Australian dollars by playing it wisely. Currently in the process of migrating this entire website across, so I can't wait for that to happen. But it's because of you, and supporters like you, Maya, that have helped me pay that off quickly. I'm so, so thankful. Now, I don't have to worry about those sort of administrative costs. Thank you so, so much. And now for my two white tea warlords. Ah, so nice to say that. First up is my epic and amazing Leza Balzuka. Mate, I got your email, fresh of the internet press as it were, and we'll be reading this on the weekend. I cannot wait to hear what you've been up to. And thank you for your support, Dudio, because your support will be flying into that website hosting payment as well. You're supporting me at such a core level and making such a big impact. I'm so grateful. Cheers, man. And my new white tea warlord, Paige Kramer. What can I say other than a fantastic poet and a natural storyteller? I'll be reading out your poem this Friday, and I can't wait to share your experience regarding the blue baby ghost with everyone listening. And I genuinely enjoy hearing these kind of experiences, especially ones like this that are so well written. You'll always have my ear, Paige. Thank you. And my old grain forces, the boiling bubbles in this podcast veins, the people that have me thinking, how do I get so lucky? to have your level of support. I have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker One, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for supporting me. Seriously, I don't say this enough. You push this podcast to its limits and you take away that burden regarding overheads and other running costs for the podcast. With those taken care of, I don't have to stress at all about upkeep and focus solely on delivering better episodes. All of you make a difference, a big difference. Have a kick-ass Wednesday and I'll catch you Friday for Freaky Tales. As always, mates, till next, we meet.